This is the Master Brewers Podcast, brought to you by the Master Brewers Association of the Americas, a volunteer organization dedicated to continually improving the products and processes of our membership since 1887. Master Brewers brings you interviews with the industry's best and brightest in brewing science, technology, and operations. This Master Brewers podcast is proudly sponsored by Hopsteiner, a global leader in the hop industry focused on quality, sustainability, and innovation in new hop varieties and hop products. Contact our brewery sales team to provide you with the hop-related tools you need to craft your next great beer. For more information, visit hopsteiner.com. Additional support provided by... Every beer has a story, and that's why, for over 95 years, Gusmer Enterprises has offered a full line of solutions, including equipment, analytical instrumentation, and processing aids, all brought to you from leading suppliers and backed by strong technical support. For the solution to your story, go to gusmerbeer.com. And thanks also to Brew Ninja, a brewery software solution that streamlines your day-to-day operations, including inventory, accounting, sales, and compliance, so that you can focus on making great beer. Listeners of this podcast will receive a unique offer by going to GetBrewNinja.com and using the code BrewNinja21. These beers overall are some of the hardest fermentation environments that we've, that we've given yeast. So the next fermentation, it may finish, but it may take a little bit longer. It may have a diacetyl issue, you may even stall. If you continuously take these metrics, over time, you're going to build a story that's basically what's going on in your brewery. This week on the show, the adversarial relationship between yeast health and dry hopping, why these things are at odds with each other, what to look out for, and how to make the best of this challenging combination. Hi, my name is John Geritano. I'm the owner and founder of Inland Island Yeast Laboratories in Denver, Colorado. We've talked about the pH increase that comes with dry hopping in the past on the show. What are some of the side effects of that pH spike? So there can be many side effects, but namely the uh, reduction of diacetyl is just slowed down. Um, Diacetyl seems to reduce a lot easier below pH 4.5. And so depending on what the pH of your beer is at the point that you do the dry hop, you can actually drive it above that threshold and cause uh, issues with clearing diacetyl and um, most people that have brewed you know heavily hopped beers I'm sure uh, has had a batch that just seems to either produce more diacetyl or take longer to clear it than uh, they expected it to and you know it could be something as simple as pH making pH adjustments at uh, time of dry hop and or realizing that's something that's going to happen and and you know uh, planning accordingly before you do your dry hopping we know that diacetyl is both produced and reduced faster at higher temperatures, but like most variables, there's not only a temperature optimum, but also this pH optimum. What exactly is the pH optimum for diacetyl redu- reduction? Uh, from what I've gathered, and I'm not, unfortunately, I don't have like an exact scientific paper or something to quote this, but I've looking through scientific papers that are on kind of other subjects, but checking out graphs and things from uh, diacetyl reduction, it looks like below 4.5 is really like a, a significant threshold. Um, you, I've 
looked at a couple of papers where they were just tracking diacetyl reduction um, at different pHs. And uh, when it was held at 5.0, it almost didn't reduce at all. And there was actually quite a bit more diacetyl production uh, so that the end diacetyl uh, quantity was just significantly higher than even at 4.5 or uh, below 4. So it seems, you know, most beers for, you know, that I, when I've talked to brewers, most of their beers seem to be finishing up around the four two four three. That seems like a good threshold, but if you were there and you you know did a heavy dry hop, you might be pushing yourself above that four point five threshold. Talk about the reason why diacetyl is reduced faster between four and four and a half pH. Why does pH matter so much? Um, pH matters because we're dealing with an enzymatic reaction, and um, there is just a pH optimum that that reaction takes place better. Let's look past diacetyl and talk about why the increase in pH that comes with dry hopping creates stress for the yeast cell. So yeast is constantly trying to create a pH gradient. Uh, That's why we see pH usually goes down during a fermentation. Um, And then slightly there's an uptick at the end when it stops trying to create that pH gradient. So if the yeast is trying to drive the pH down and with the hops that you're adding, it's being driven back up. That can actually create stress. And um, the dry hopping situation is already a stress. The yeast is under quite a bit of stress at that point anyway. So you're, you're basically making it work harder um, to create that pH gradient in order to just go through its normal metabolism and functions. Uh, so, I mean, that's it right there. And, and why, does, why does the yeast want to create that pH uh, gradient? So it uses the pH gradient in order to drive um, uh, gateways, bring in uh, uh, glucose, maltose, uh, other nutrients into the cell. Um, so it's it's basically just the way that the the gates that allow some nutrients in and not not others uh, function. Let's say a brewer is repitching, and after a certain number of fermentation cycles, they notice an increase in beer pH. What signal should that send to the brewer? That should send a signal that you're you're actually losing some of the vitality. Um, maybe even if you're not losing viability, is easy to see right off the bat. But if you're seeing a large pH increase, uh, oftentimes that's the yeast not doing its job. It's getting tired. It's kind of giving up, and that's a good sign that um, it's time to you know start a new a new pitch. So, John, you've got some interesting data from a brewery that produces both a lot of lager as well as a lot of IPA. Talk about what you observe um, at that brewery. So, yeah, I was fortunate enough to be given all this data from a brewery that is producing both uh, lots of lagers, very consistent lager fermentations, as well as um, other ales, uh, beers that typically are heavily hopped IPAs and uh, what they're able to observe over, you know, 20 plus generations is you can actually take a lager and get very, very consistent viabilities, pitch after pitch after pitch going well beyond say 20 generations. Whereas when you're dealing with an ale and especially in like an IPA situation where you are heavily hopping it, viabilities can be anywhere between 70% and 95%. uh, And it's not even, just say better in the beginning and then as generations go along it falls off a cliff it seems to jump around quite a bit um and the theory is that that is a factor of 
the the dry hopping and you know the difference in these beers i'm sure there's a gravity difference as well uh but it's not nearly as consistent and it's not nearly as easy to understand from generation to generation as it would in say just a, a lager brewery where you're using the same yeast and you're the same fermentation conditions over and over again and you've also got viability data f- both from before and after dry hopping those ipas i believe yeah, so uh the the interesting part too was that this is, you know, the the other data that I was looking at was more of an endpoint uh at the end of fermentation right before you're going to pitch, but if you just look at the the viability before and after dry hopping, uh it seems to almost fall off a cliff. Uh there's some of this data uh looks like you could go from say 80% viability to down around 50% just due to dry hopping. And it's possible that the yeast is going to recover a little bit towards uh, the end of fermentation, but there is a lot of evidence to a significant drop in uh, viability after a dry hop. So no matter if it starts off higher or lower, it's, it's, it's fallen either way. Yep, it's fallen either way. And it's not always consistent. These batches, unfortunately, I don't have uh, the whole story behind everything. So I don't know that every single one of these were, say, you know, going from low gravity to high gravity over the course of the generations, like I would suggest. But it doesn't look as though it even has a correlation between the number of generations out or what the starting viability is pre and post uh, dry hop. It just seems like that dry hopping is having a major effect in the, you know, order of at least 10% or more on the viability. How do we know this isn't just a difference between ale and lager yeast? So we wanted to know what that was going to look like in a situation where you don't have hops as um, we're, we're not hopping anything, for instance, at the yeast laboratory. So we were able to take yeast that we had grown under zero IBU conditions um, and then thrown in storage and just see what the longevity. I mean, it was something that we wanted to know for our own sake as far as the yeast goes. But it was interesting to see that it they all seem to be able to hold up under storage conditions uh, for beyond four weeks out to say 12 weeks. We're still, you know, for most ale strains above 80%. Lager seems to fall off a little bit quicker than the rest, but uh, you're still talking six weeks out. So in a situation where you've got a fermentation going and it seems to be like an immediate loss, it kind of, you know, points more fingers at the fact that this is actually the dry hopping having a direct effect on the viability. All right. So it's pretty clear hops are not good for yeast. Yes. Yes. All right. So we know brewers aren't going to stop dry hopping anytime soon. What should they focus on to offset the negative yeast health impacts that come with the territory? I think the best thing that a brewer can do is just really understand what they're doing to their yeast uh, with the beer that they're brewing. Uh doing we're obviously not going to stop doing dry hopping and so with beers kind of getting pushed towards high gravity high ibus we just need to know that there's going to be quite a bit of stress being put on the yeast um there's articles that i've seen uh that just came out in the technical quarterly that basically states that all things high gravity high IBU, as well as cereal repitching is just tough on the viability of ale yeasts. So knowing that, first of all, is is uh, going to get you a step ahead. Secondly, what can you do about that? Um, there are several things that you can do just for the overall health of the yeast. Nutrients is a really, really big one. Um, the I've also read articles about, you know, just knowing exactly how much free amino nitrogen you're going to have based on your grain bill is 
you know, a huge step up as to uh, keeping all the yeast healthy. From a nutrient standpoint, uh, there are, you know, we want to have enough vitamins, minerals, amino acids, and sterols in the, uh, in the mash in order to support the yeast throughout the fermentation. So uh, making sure that you've got all of those in the right quantities, you can use commercial uh, nutrients or you can build your nutrient package yourself. It just depends on how much time that you may have. Sometimes when you buy commercial pit or commercial nutrients, it just doesn't, they, they're, they're not hitting all the, the checks that you need them to. Um, also paying attention to pH in these beers, uh, as we were kind of going over before with pH having a big impact on the yeast health, as well as the diacetyl reduction. It's a very easy metric to take. Uh, pH meters are not expensive. Um, it's something that while you're already taking a gravity or something like that, you can just do a pH and it might not actually give you uh, all your answers on the very first time that you do it. But if you continuously take these metrics over time, you're going to build a story. That's basically what's going on in your brewery. Um, and I'm a big advocate of taking as many data points as possible, especially when they're inexpensive and easy to take like pHs. So for instance, if you knew you're about to do this gigantic uh, dry hop and that's going to raise due to the alkalinity of those hops is going to raise the pH doing a pH adjustment is something that you can do ahead of time or after the fact in order to counteract the negative effects that they may, that may be having on your yeast health. Yeah, that's a trick I learned from um, Ben Edmonds at Breakside quite a few years back, and it's totally transformed my beers. I can't imagine a scenario in which I wouldn't acidify an IPA in the kettle. Um, but how low can we go if we know that we're going to see a massive pH increase from dry hopping? Can we take our knockout pH down to say under four and a half without any other negative effects uh, in regards to yeast health and performance? Yeah, I would. I would absolutely go below four and a half. I think going down as far as four is probably acceptable. Four one. I mean, most beers are finishing. I'd say in the like four one to four three category. Um, so that's not anything that's going to be harmful to the yeast. I would say you're probably not going to start seeing yeast viability go down until you start reaching the, say below three, seven, um, three, five ish. I mean, yeast can handle it, but it's just another stress and all these stresses act together. So it's not just that it's high gravity and it's not just that it's high IBU and it's not just that, um, you know, maybe your, your 15th generation. Now you're also adding, uh, pH stress on there as well better to stay away from it but if you keep it you know between four and four five you're going to be in good shape all right i didn't mean to derail you there keep going oh um yeah so also i guess there there are different times that you can do brew house additions um so say you've made this beer before you know exactly where you're going to finish up or you have an idea of what the hops are going to do to that beer you can make ph adjustments and acidify in the brew house um you can also do that at time of uh at the time of the dry hop and that it, you know it maybe you don't know exactly how much you're going to raise your ph because you haven't used these hops another thing to uh, mention is that different hops have different alkalinity it's not just that you can say like every pound of hops is going to produce x amount uh there's been some studies and i know um a lot of guys over at Hopsteiner um, have done some work on this and published some papers, but uh, you you can calculate how much you're going to increase the pH, but it is going to change from varietal to varietal and potentially from grower to grower. So you just kind of have to have a, an idea of what you're using there. 
Yeah, and if you don't know a place to start, uh, th- I think what you're referring to is um, uh, they usually go with the rule of thumb of like 0.1 pH per pound per barrel that's added of dry hops. So uh, you know, if you if you got nothing else to go off of, um, that's not a that'll get you close. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, it's better to just take that as an average than just not do anything about it. Coming up, just because the yeast is still saying that it's got decent viability does not mean that it's going to be the most effective that it could be at fermenting the next batch of beers. I'm John Bryce, and you're listening to the Master Brewers Podcast from the Master Brewers Association of the Americas. There's really only one thing that keeps this podcast going, and that's when listeners like you take the time to thank our sponsors. The next time you talk to a rep from one of these companies, be sure to thank them for their generous support. Get to know Proximity Malt. We malt superior, European-style, low-protein varieties grown close to home in Delaware and Colorado. Domestically grown, precisely malted to style. With our team of seasoned experts and two brand new malt houses, try what's really new in malt. Check us out at www.proximitymalt.com. Brew Monitor from Precision Fermentation works with your existing fermentation tanks to track dissolved oxygen, pH, gravity, pressure, temperature, and conductivity in real time from any smartphone, tablet, or PC. Get started for 30 days risk-free. Visit precisionfermentation.com mbaa. This episode is also sponsored by More Beer. Visit morebeerpro.com to browse ingredients, equipment, and more. Even the best yeast deserves a helping hand with seltzer fermentation, which is why Pathfinder N-Pure Seltzer Nutrient ensures reliable and complete fermentation of a seltzer base while providing a clean, neutral fermentation profile. Not to mention it provides all the essential nutrients required by yeast for production of hard seltzer bases fermented from those sweet, refined sugars. Give your seltzer yeast a boost by visiting bsgcraftbrewing.com and searching for Pathfinder NPR Seltzer Nutrient or call BSG at 1-800-374-2739. There's one more sponsor I should mention and that's Fermentis, a global supplier of active dry yeast. You can listen to Kevin and Marcelo talk about the shelf life and performance of active dry yeast on episode 93. And here's what's coming up on the Master Brewers calendar. July 20th, join John Harris, Kevin Davey, and Andy Morrison for a webinar called Cold IPA Defined, a deep dive with the creators. And the Master Brewers Brewery Maintenance Systems course starts August 15th. I'm so glad to see the great District Northwest meeting once again at Hood River, October 15th and 16th. There's one big meeting that's on my calendar. I hope it's on yours. The 2021 Master Brewers Conference will be October 28th through the 30th in Cleveland. And don't forget the world-famous Master Brewers Brewing and Malting Science course begins October 31st. Check out the full calendar of events at mbaa.com for more details or to find a district meeting near you. Master Brewers offers a wide range of resources for breweries of all sizes and stages. Stay current on the latest scientific advancements, technical information, and industry trends by joining Master Brewers. Join today and use offer code BEER2021 
to save 20% on dues now through December 31st, 2021. Master Brewers, United We Brew. back to the show. John, you mentioned earlier that when you see a pH increase in fermentation, that it's a, a, sh- a sign that the yeast cell is, um, that the yeast are no longer trying to, or are no longer effective at managing that pH uh, gradient. Uh, how can we tell when that indicates that the yeast is just stressed out and and losing vitality and tired versus uh, that the yeast is actually dying. So taking a viability is a good way to tell, obviously, if the yeast is dying. Seeing a pH increase towards the end of fermentation, that is, you'll always see a little bit of a bump, but it would be more than you usually see. So you said after dry hopping, it was at X, you know, 4.1, and then normally it bumps up to 4.2, no big deal. Well, all of a sudden it went up to 4.5. That's a good indication that that yeast is, even if it's not staining as dead cells, it's probably losing vitality. And you might want to reconsider using that yeast to go into another IPA, double IPA, or something that's going to be heavily hopped again, because you're really, these beers overall are some of the hardest fermentation environments that we've, that we've given yeast. So um, just because the yeast is still saying that it's got decent viability does not mean that it's going to be the most effective that it could be at fermenting the next batch of beers. So keeping a really good eye on that, that pH is, is a way to be one step ahead. So the next fermentation, it may finish, but it may take a little bit longer. It may have a diacetyl issue, you may even stall. And if you want to avoid all of those things, taking a step back and actually realizing that you might have a problem before you pitch that yeast is, is going to help you out in the end. For folks who are doing active fermentation dry hops for hazy IPAs, do you usually advise them to just always discard the yeast or do you think there's a way to reuse their yeast and still keep it healthy? So I get asked from brewers constantly, probably the most the, the most questions that I get are about these heavily hopped IPAs because clearly everybody wants to make them and everybody wants to make a bigger better version of what everybody else is making and having come from an environment where somebody maybe is used to lager brewing or you know that this isn't brewing an amber or something this is brewing a heavily hopped ipa so they're always trying to get the other thing is it's a very expensive beer to make hops are expensive the grain bill is expensive sometimes and obviously ordering a new yeast pitch every time is going to be very expensive so there i guess to answer your question Yes, there is a way for you to collect yeast off of these beers. You just have to think outside the box. It's not something where you can collect the yeast after the fact because a lot of times you're doing a mid-fermentation dry hopping that is the yeast and the hops are going to be all mixed together and collecting that out of the slurry is just going to be a nightmare. So what I suggest our brewers do is they they actually do something called a soft crash before the the collection of the yeast so it may be mid fermentation and you're fermenting at say 72 degrees drop it down to 68 a lot of times that'll cause a significant or enough of the yeast to fall out that you can collect it right at that moment 
is that the best time to collect yeast uh, for yeast health? No, it's not. It's actually far better to collect it at the end of the fermentation. But since you're going to be adding so much hops and that's not really an option, collecting it early is the better of the two evils. Um, I go back to like top cropping, like back yeah. in the day, I used to have these like open fermenters and yep. and I think how, you know, back then it felt so antiquated, but now I'm like, man, that would be really nice to have those again. <laughs> you know? So the customer that I had that got the absolute best uh, or the most generations out of their, their hazy ale yeast had open fermenters, like old style mezzanine walk around open fermenters. And they were harvesting with a snow shovel from one into another. And it worked yep. every time over and yep. over and over again. Some real good yeast there up at the top. Yep. Yep. So that is absolutely, I mean, if you have that option, but unfortunately most of us are brewing in, you know, closed conical fermenters. I've talked to some people about, you know, getting really, really clever and potentially like overfilling a vessel, running the blow off into a sanitized keg and actually collecting the blow off like you would be taking the, the Krausen straight off the top of the beer. Now, uh, the number of brewers that I know that it, that have made that common practice is zero. Um, a couple of them have tried it. I think that you would have to really kind of really like a lot could go wrong there. Yeah, a lot could yeah. go wrong, and it's got to yeah. be perfect. You got to know exactly what volume. Another thing that I've suggested to a lot of brewers with doing these big hazy beers is um, this goes across the board, even if it's not a hazy beer. Yeast that's going coming out of your blow off bucket all over your floor is the saddest thing that I can think of in the brew house. Um, that is all the healthiest yeast that was going to be doing the most uh, work on that beer that has somehow crawled its way out of your tank and is now on the floor and useless. So I talk to brewers a lot about, especially these, these yeasts that are, that are very, um, you know, from top fermenting, adding more anti-foam than you think you need is probably going to uh, make the fermentation just go better in general. You're not losing anything out the top. You're keeping the yeast in solution so that it is actually consuming sugars. Um, and if you're already, you know, doing an early harvest and not really collecting the full amount that you would want, every little bit of yeast that you can keep in that beer is going to matter. Um, most brewers only think about antifoam as a uh, at the boil so that it, they don't get boil overs. Uh, antifoam can be used to keep yeast in solution during the fermentation as well. Um, and that I'm much more familiar with using vegetable-based antifoams, um, but the silicone-based antifoam can can work just the same. Okay. Um, are there any yeast strains that are just more resilient to the effects of dry hopping than others? I don't actually know that answer. I know that uh, there there are certain yeast strains that um, that do you know better biotransformation or better for this style of beer but not necessarily uh, as far as viability goes and, and holding up to dry hopping. I mean, I'd like to be able to say like, of course, all the, the hazies that everybody are using, but... Um, no, there's got... Yeah, I, I think that's an interesting area of research. Like there's got to be some some strains out there that, you know, um, you know, can... Um, or just are more resilient to the, the, the specific stresses from dry hopping. I don't yeah. know. I, I mean, we just haven't found them yet. I think there's a huge realm for research in this category. I mean, it seems like more than half the beers out there now are these hazy IPAs, but most of the research out there that's happened throughout history has been on lager. And so right. you can't exactly just go back to an article from the 70s and read it and know, you know, what, what to do in my double dry hopped IPA. Totally agree. And I, I think that's what's interesting about the article you referenced earlier. Um, you know, it's, the, it's, you know, we're finally getting some people to study uh, the yeast that are relevant today. So, yep, absolutely. 
All right. Um, what else? What else do people ask you about dry hopping and um, and yeast? I get asked a lot about why was I able to get 15, 20 generations out of my West Coast IPA uh, when I was making pale ales and you know IPAs five years ago, and all of a sudden getting three generations out of a, uh, a, a hazy strain seems to be pretty good. And my answer usually is it's due to all the factors that we've just talked about through this entire interview. Um, we've created this situation where we're, we're making like almost the most inhospitable environment possible for the yeasts in order to make these beers. And it's just, there just isn't a good way to get a solid yeast harvest for multiple generations. Um, so, you know, I, I would say to, to any brewer out there that's kind of struggling with the repitching and inconsistent fermentations to really try to dial in everything that you're adding, make sure that you're checking that pH and keeping it in the right, uh, threshold. Uh, but also don't get hard on yourself. Uh, you know, hopefully, you know, we're charging a little bit more for these beers than we would for a lager because of all the ingredients that are going in and, um, you know, getting a couple generations out of it and then having to get a new pitch is just kind of the name of the game. That was John Geritano here on the Master Brewers Podcast. If you'd like to hear more about the topic of dry hopping and yeast health, check the show notes for a link to the on-demand 2020 World Brewing Congress workshop featuring John and two other Johns, including John Paul May, who you heard on the show just a couple of weeks ago. And that workshop was moderated by our friend Travis Audette from episode 201. I joined District Mid-Atlantic back when it was dominated by large breweries, and I was often one of the only craft brewers in attendance. I'm so glad I joined. That membership has been incredibly impactful to my career, and I've made so many lifelong friends from those meetings. If you're not already a member, I highly encourage you to join. And there's no time like the present because new members can use promo code BEER2021 or the link in the show notes to save 20% on dues. Are you enjoying the Master Brewers podcast? Let me tell you about a simple way you can help us keep making more. Take a minute to thank our sponsors. There's no way we could produce this show without generous support from sponsors like Hopsteiner, Brew Ninja, Proximity Malt, BSG, Gussamer, and Precision Fermentation. So please, let them know you heard their message on the Master Brewers podcast and that you appreciate their support. 